So the second episode we're talking about is a scandal in Belgravia based on a scandal in Bohemia. <laughs> we are finally on this podcast in an adaptation talking about Irene. Yeah, we we read the short story right at the beginning of the season because I was like, she shows up mm-hmm. all the time. This is the first time we've actually dealt with her. She shows up more in the 2010s for sure. I would also argue that like some of the characters are like m- like m- mirror versions of Irene, like the like mm-hmm. Madeline Kahn's character in Sherlock Holmes' Murder Brother is kind of an yeah. Irene Adler. I think a lot of times there's a woman who is kind of Irene Adler in Sherlock Holmes adaptations. So the episode begins by resolving the cliffhanger from the end of the previous episode, which is the third episode of the first season leads up to this big confrontation with Moriarty where they meet at a swimming pool. And Moriarty, the cliffhanger at the end of this episode is that Moriarty comes back and decides to kill them. And then the episode begins with him deciding not to kill them. You mean hot priest? (laughs) Neither of us have seen Fleabag. <laughs> but it's Hot Priest. It's, it's Hot Priest. I've seen Fleabag. That's Hot Priest. That's Hot Priest, baby. And, That's Andrew Hot Scott, Priest. Andrew Scott, who plays Moriarty, I think is an extraordinarily gifted actor. And I think he does a really excellent Moriarty. I think it. what is on the paper is very tough to execute in any original way. Yeah. Because he's very much written as, I think, any a less skilled actor either would have done... The Master from Doctor Who, again, mm-hmm. which he's on paper kind of written like, and then he's also kind of written like the Joker. And it's very hard to find an actor that can walk that line and do something original with something that on the page is could feel very derivative. Yeah, And I think that so much of that is just like the incredibly interesting st- screen presence that Andrew Scott has as a human being. Yeah. Also, another thing that I'm grateful for that this show exists because it also gave us Andrew Scott who is a fantastic actor and who's gone on to do such amazing things. He's so gifted, so talented. So I can't complain about Andrew Scott ever on yeah, anything, no. including I this. A, I think he's a phone book actor for me. I think I'd watch him read the phone book. It's shame that he's not in the episode very much. Yeah. yeah. There, there's one complaint that I think we agree happens in this. About Moriarty? Yeah, that he just walks away. Oh, yeah. Because the thing is that the the blank check they're writing at the beginning of the episode is that Whatever's going to happen this episode is going to be more valuable to Moriarty than killing Sherlock Holmes. That it's more valuable for him to keep Sherlock alive so that the events of this episode can happen than it is for him to kill Sherlock Holmes. And I get that, having seen this episode, I get that the things that happened in this episode wouldn't have happened with a different detective, necessarily. Hmm. Um... It's sort of unclear what Moriarty gets out of this. Yeah, it's all so convoluted. By the time you get to the end, it's it's very similar to Doctor Who, where it's like, you just kind of have to go with it and then be like, yeah, sure, and then not think about it. Yeah. Because the, the internal logic doesn't particularly track on a... And that's, that's a wider thing about this entire series, is that I think it is built on these these really intense moments and plot developments and mystery solves that are so flashy and feel when you're watching it, like you're like electricity is happening. You're like, Oh my God, this is incredible. Oh my God. And then you sit back and you think about it for like two minutes. Yeah. And then you realize that it doesn't make any sense. There's a lot of that. In this he, he's yeah. He, Stephen Moffat is all about creating a dramatic moment yeah. rather than kind of creating moments that have internal consistency or logic. It's really drama for drama's sake that's built yeah. on nothing it feels like and that that's true across all of his work i mean i i think he always like the thing he does and he does it every time is he thinks of like 
the craziest idea he can think of. And then he's like, well, I'll figure out later why it happened. <laughs> and then he doesn't. Yeah. yeah. I have seen the clip of like the season, the ending of the season one finale where it's like, mm-hmm. okay, what are we going to do? Sherlock, like blah, blah, blah. And that feels like kind of like a parallel to Moriarty and Sherlock's like fight by the falls. And it's like, I think mm-hmm. the logical thing that, and I wish that they probably could have done and should have done was kill Moriarty after the first season. Let there be newer villains. If you're going to continue on, like be brave mm-hmm. about it. I don't know. I think the opposite. I sort mm-hmm. of wish they'd waited longer to do Reichenbach or that they hadn't killed Moriarty in the Reichenbach in such a decisive way because they, because then they cannot ever figure out a way to top him. And so they keep bringing him back. They just yeah. keep bringing yeah. him back in weirder and weirder ways. I totally agree. I totally agree. They do Reichenbach way too early. And I say that as someone who really likes Reichenbach episodes, my favorite episode. Mm-hmm. I think it's one of the ones that, that like ages best because I at least think that like the dramatic stakes for the characters and the relationship are interesting. But I totally agree that doing it in season two left them nowhere to go. Yeah. In mm-hmm. in three and four. Yeah. It's far too early in the show. It should have been the season three finale. And then you just do season four. Because it, there's just nothing after that that feels like it can match it in stakes. Because mm-hmm. there's no one else that can come in with the same electricity that Andrew Scott had. Yeah. So they have to keep relying on Andrew Scott. And it just doesn't work. I mean, this is also a problem that Supernatural had, which is sort of funny because, mm-hmm. like, this is my understanding, at least. I've really never gotten to the show. But, like, they, like, kill the devil or something, like, pretty early. And they keep having to be like, well, this is this is worse than the devil, you know, for the rest of the show. This is like, this is the devil's cousin. He's worse. This is Ursula's crazy sister. Metatron. Don't forget Metatron. You can't forget I, Metatron, I Evan. haven't seen this show. And it's funny that like, <laughs> it's funny that a lot of the problems that Supernatural and Sherlock have about this like power leveling of villains and the like queer subtext of it all, like Doctor Who never had those problems. Like, no. Doctor Who, they did kill the devil. And then they moved on and they killed like some little cute aliens. Like it just, it just, it just doesn't matter. Right. Like the, the power level from episode to episode has no relationship. Every now and then they bring the master around and then it doesn't matter also. Right. Like, like it might. Gallifrey has been wiped out and brought back like six times. And that's an entire race of people. Right. And it doesn't even matter. It doesn't matter. And then also like when Dr. Who came back in 2005, the showrunner Russell Tyler Davies was a gay man and he wrote, genuine queer characters onto the show and like the doctor kisses a man in like season one mm-hmm. on screen slay and and implies that he's like okay with that like it's it's not like it's not like i'm kissing you as a friend and russell is is continuing to do that in the revival it seems like which is really fantastic to see i think that's that's what's also really interesting to watch in this on a different note like watching sherlock in this day and age when we live in kind of the post like our flag means death world when we live in a in a post like like good omen season two world where it's like okay cool it's not impossible to follow through on the things that you do and like they get received well and like it's really not a problem you don't have to continue to to bait people like this yeah you're actively steering yourself away from making an interesting story this is what i was talking about in the last episode now that it's the public domain and the conan doyle estate won't sue you like someone Mm -hmm. needs to do the sherlock where they're gay (laughs) you know i mean i'm fucking trying right I think you are. Yeah, we are. Yeah, we are. We're not. We're like trying to remain, you know, some level of like leave something for a surprise. But like, yeah, yeah, 
Yeah, I <laughs> I'll be real. Yeah. I didn't think it was subtle in the episodes where we met them. Oh, and it's not supposed to be. Yeah. Like, it's like, that's, we're trying to leave the how very, like, up in the air. But, like, yeah, why Why would we do it if we're not going to? What? What's right. the point? Like, of count. course. Yeah. Like, we're not going to be fucking cowards. It's our show. Literally, no one is telling us we can't do it. <laughs> what would the point be in not doing it? Right. What? Right. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's that's silly. It's 2023. They're in love. Yeah. Deal with it. They've been in love the whole time. Yeah, and it's about fucking time. TikTok. Mm-hmm. And honestly, yeah, so. by the time the series ended, like, marriage equality was passed in the United States. Like, things were already, mm-hmm. like, the ball balls were yeah. rolling. I like, mean, honestly, the period that this show was airing from, 2010 to 2017, encompasses a huge public opinion shift about queer people. And... You know, I can't really be mad at Moffat for not moving with the times. There are a lot of other things that I can be mad at him about, that I am mad at him about. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like it's it's necessary to, like, clarify that, like, my, my problem was never, like, whether or not they were canon. I think that that's fine if they're not. If that's not the story you're telling, that's fine. Totally, It is yeah. the level to which you engaged with that particular thing. It's the fact that there was baiting yeah. when you didn't need to do that. You didn't need to say the things that you said in the interviews that you said them in. You did not have to write it into the text in this particular way. No. And then you didn't need to do that. Make fans believe that that was happening. And, and rightfully, because you wrote it into your own show and they were yeah. reading the text of the show that they were watching. And then you didn't need to come back in season three and essentially write an entire 90 minute episode where you called them crazy in the text of the show. Yeah. You didn't need to do that. You didn't then need to proceed to in the season three finale write an entire scene that seems to be leading up to a love confession that literally doesn't make sense if it's not that fall after an episode in which john watson gets married and sherlock holmes distraught leaves the wedding early and that's the end of the episode after not saying something that he came there to say and, and discovering that john's wife is pregnant you didn't need to write an entire special where there's an entire scene where John pushes him about whether or not he desires other people and and who that person might be. And then you didn't need to, in the fourth season, then proceed to put out ads where Sherlock Holmes is saying, I love you to someone off screen, and then put on your Twitter feed, Sherlock is in love, who with? Just to bait fans, only for it to be a fake out in the episode itself where he's having he's in a saw trap and someone's forcing him to say i love you to someone else just so you could cut that clip into your promos that's what i have a problem with (laughs) and that's what i think is fucking evil like that's what's genuinely evil right like you you are evil that's fucked up right this this is the thing about queer baiting is like the the nature of queer baiting especially when it's done with like a clear degree of like awareness and intentionality like this is that the entire point is to get a queer audience to watch your show, even though you know that you're never going to give them what they want. Yeah. <laughs> like the entire point mm-hmm. is to string along people who could be watching anything else. And like, there was queer stuff happening between 2010 and 2017. What? <laughs> mm-hmm. Not as much as there is now. And like the mm-hmm. American adaptation of Sherlock Elementary was running at the same time. And like, had a explicitly trans Mrs. Hudson and I think had explicit queer mm-hmm. characters and like was mm-hmm. doing the rap. And, you know, mm-hmm. people were too obsessed with BBC Sherlock to give it and the I think, and also, attention. Yeah. 
Yeah. And also elementary did a fantastic platonic version of, of Holmes and Watson. Yeah. Like genuinely did an amazing platonic weighted relationship between the two of them that felt real, that felt important, that felt warm and loving and genuinely felt like this, this meteoric thing that changed both of their lives. And, and like proved like you didn't need to debate. You can do a, a platonic relationship between Holmes and Watson that people love, people root for, and that feels like it is life changing and still as big as the original stories. So you didn't have in multiple ways, you didn't have to do what you did. Yeah. And yet you did. Like it, it's, it's there. It's the intentionality of it that, that, and, I, and I'm interested to talk about this in the context of Scandal and Belgravia. Because I think this is the the one where I thought that like there was intentionality in the other way, and then it I was later misproven. Yeah, I think one more thing too is that it's also possibly because this series came out twenty ten. Th- this way, of writing is probably still a backlash to the platonic friendship and love in Lord of the Rings that the two mm. mains like Elijah Wood had with each other, and how that so got made fun of throughout the rest of the 2000s mm-hmm. and i think people were just aff- also really afraid of showing tonic friendship pr- mm-hmm. like love friendship love between two men yeah mm-hmm. yeah this yeah this definitely was a period where we were still feeling this aftershock of homophobia of the early 2000s where it's like men cannot be platonically intimate on screen and mm-hmm. when they are what does it mean after the title sequence, the episode begins by introducing us to the idea that Sherlock and Watson have become, like, internet phenomenon. So, like, John's blog is popular because it has truly under 2,000 views <laughs> for the entire episode, which is, I don't know, is that uh, a lot of people? Not even for that time, because there were YouTubers at that time that were getting millions of views. I right. mean... I mean, it's it's mm-hmm. under two thousand because it's a significant year in the Sherlock Holmes canon. It's eighteen ninety five is the number, mm-hmm. but that has adjusted both the relationship because Sherlock is like a little peeved that people care about John's blog more than they care about his website, and then also they're like standing in the world, like they have made the transition between being anonymous consulting detectives or an anonymous consulting mm-hmm. detective and friend to being public figures. Yeah. Which often in adaptations, Sherlock's fall somewhere on that spectrum. This one delineates a, a transition moment, which I think is interesting. Mm-hmm. Which is something that I like, actually. It's one of the, the things that I like about it. I, I like weirdly like the little cheeky moment of like the hat. Like, that's silly. Yeah, I don't know, but I'm like, yeah, sure, why not? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's fun. I like I like Watson kind of relishing in it and Holmes getting a little jealous that it's not his stuff that people care about. That stuff's all fun. And then we get like a fun little montage of cases that yes. I like and Holmes making fun of the titles and making fun of his writing, which is some of the fun part about the original stories is, is the moments where he is, is making fun of the stories and is like, you're writing them wrong. And Watson's like, fuck then dude, you write them. I dare you. But all <laughs> of that stuff is, is super fun. And I like all of that. I actually think it's, it's, we, it's because we don't get those middle episodes this is the closest we get to a glimpse into what that procedural version of the show would be like mm-hmm. and there are moments like this where i'm just like we only get five minutes of this can mm-hmm. we just like get the actual show that you're teasing us so then we do get a case that we are solving and are we though <laughs> well and sherlock decides to participate via zoom call which is very forward thinking of him he sends john out to 
wherever this murder has taken place while the client stays at Baker Street and John parades around the crime scene with a laptop. He arrives and he says, are you set up for Wi-Fi? And somehow the answer must have been yes. Even they're in the middle of a field. It's also just so funny because it's like we're just before the age of like hotspots and yeah. like like video calling. Like he's out there with a huge ass laptop, like trying to move it around. And it's yeah. just like your phone has a camera, dude. Like I think. Yeah, it's so funny him just bringing them like it like edges. He looks like a dad with an iPad taking the family photos. Yeah, and <laughs> I find that very endearing. I genuinely am like, you didn't need to do all of this, John. God, I love you, and it's so funny that you're doing this. It's dedication. It's also very in character for Sherlock Holmes. There's some of the best stuff in like the Granada series are times when he sends watson out like oh i have to do this other stuff in town can you go do this part of the thing watson comes back describes what he did and then holmes is just like wait you fucked the whole thing up why did you do that and watson's like then you do it yourself and i I also find all of that stupidly charming love all of it love it the the case is stupid but we have to it comes back later so just just, i'm just going to sketch the details which are that a stranded motorist was trying to fix his car and it backfired and a man standing some distance off in a field dropped dead. And th- this will come back yes. later. No, it won't. It well, much won't. like another thing that'll come back later. Much <laughs> like perhaps a boomerang. Right. Like the boomerang that killed the hiker, this will come back later and bludgeon us in the head. Too late. But the plot is, this plot is interrupted as well because a helicopter arrives to take John to Buckingham Palace and Sherlock uh, is Wrapped in a sheet, nakedly taken to Buckingham Palace. Sherlock had been doing the Zoom call, (laughs) wrapped in a sheet. Despite the fact that the client was still in his house, he, like, took a shower, I guess, and came back. I don't know why he's in a sheet and not a towel. I don't know. He was clothed when the client arrived. Did he take a shower? Why else would he have taken off all his clothes? He he just got out of bed. I don't know. But he, no, but he I think vibes. I honestly think it's just vibes. He's like, nah, I don't want to. Retweet. Right. He was clothed when the client arrived. So the client arrived. John left to go deal with the case and he then took off all his clothes well he knew he was going to get on a video call with watson so right that's you know, true he shoot to your shot him. so anyway he, shot. <laughs> he doesn't have respect for british institutions sherlock has less respect for british <laughs> institutions than the writers do which is an odd mismatch mm-hmm. yeah so he's in buckingham palace in a sheet there's a gay moment with watson watson looks at his crotch goes are you wearing pants which is british for underwear and he says no, and they giggle. And Watson makes a joke about stealing an ashtray. And then later, Sherlock steals an ashtray like to impress him. So Sherlock wants to know who his client is. We never find mm-hmm. out. It's it's heavily implied the client is the queen. And but I'm unclear. I'm just not good enough at knowing all the royals. It's unclear which royal is sleeping with Irene Adler. What? It is what it is one of the female members. She's at the beginning. She's referred to as, as your highness. I believe it's it's implied to be kind of like a a princess Eugenie or something like a, like not like next in line, but like definitely in line for it's the crown. Camilla. Amazing. Would love that. <laughs> Genuinely would unironically love that. Good for you, Irene. So Irene Adler is a dominatrix and she's been sleeping with some member of the British government of the British royal family, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And there are photos and Sherlock is tasked with retrieving them because she's not trying to sell mm-hmm. them. She just wants to hold on to them. Mm-hmm. 
I don't know why Irene told the British government that the photos exist at all, because this this is all her fault, right? She, like, they say she told us that she has these photos and we want them back and she's not trying to sell them. Why did Irene tell anybody that the photos exist? Chaos. Isn't it? Isn't it because there's like, oh, God, it's one of those where it's like, it's because there's a whole gambit because there's, she's trying to get them to call Holmes in oh, so right. that he can because then the- solve a separate case. Right. Right. Like, that's the whole thing, right? Oh, right. Is that, the like, whole, whole thing is that she's this trying is the, to... Because she's the one who called Moriarty because she has a smidgen of an email from a man who works for the government that he says is going to save the world and she doesn't know what it means. Mm-hmm. I guess they have a suspicion and she is the whole is the whole episode to get Sherlock to solve this email thing? Part of it, I think. I think for the most part, yes. And then also the... Photos are implied to be leverage, I believe. They're like, I'm holding these as collateral so that nothing happens to me. And the British government has to protect me from whatever outside forces are coming for me. Because then once she loses control of the photos, at the end of the episode, she's like about to be killed because she's on the run or something. It's it's dumb. But like, I think it's implied that she's keeping them as leverage, not money. She wants them for like a future favor, I want to say. And she's also trying to lure in Sherlock because she's working with Moriarty. I think it's both. It's not made super clear. And ultimately, it doesn't matter. Yeah. In the context of the... Well, ultimately, when it comes down to it, it's like, oh, cool. Like, the interest... It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because that's not what the episode is interested in. What's fascinating is that for the next, I don't know, 10 minutes of the episode, we get this interesting idea that like so many other things, just goes out the window, like the boomerang. It just disappears, and but it, unlike the boomerang, does not come back, which is that... It's a broken boomerang. We get two sequences in a row that directly mirror what Irene is doing with what Sherlock is doing. And it feels like they're setting mm-hmm. up some sort of character parallel, and then they mm-hmm. aren't. Like, we have this, this sequence of Sherlock flipping through photos. They're screenshots of her website, of Irene's website, while mm-hmm. Irene is looking at photos of Sherlock leaving 221 Baker Street in a sheet that someone texts to her. And then Mm -hmm. we get a sequence of Sherlock and her picking out outfits so that they can meet each other at the same time. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, this is an interesting parallel idea that these characters are like, have something in common or think about the world the same way or something. And Mm -hmm. I'm not sure that that ever pays off. I think they're trying to set them up as soulmates in a certain way because they're trying to 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 form this as some sort of kind of like romantic thing that's happening here that yeah. like they are either soulmates or they are kind of two sides of the same coin. They're similar people, but in different circumstances yeah. with similar sensibilities and mm-hmm. similar ways of approaching the world and their their minds work in a certain way because in in the more interesting version of this episode, I think. It is a story about the two different people that Holmes could partner with in his life. Mm. That there could be Irene Adler, who is kind of his match, but is almost the same person as him, just in slightly different circumstances in a different profession. And then someone like John, who's very different from him, but is better for him Mm. uh, because they are different. The episode doesn't really do that, but there is a way in which I think that this this is an interesting question to ask. 
because I do think it's the question worth asking of like, is this something that Holmes is interested in? Is this something that is a part of him that he feels that he needs to explore? Because they also, the, the, the scene at Buckingham Palace is where Mycroft essentially reveals that he's a virgin mm-hmm. and that he's never had that experience. And it seems like in a more interesting version of this episode, the show is it's discussing whether or not that's something that he's ever wanted to explore and if so with who and and like what does romance look like for this person what does sex look like for this person does it have a place in his life has he ever thought about it and if he does think about it will that change how he feels about it yeah and i think that at some points in this episode it feels like they are engaging with that and those are the better parts of the episode in my opinion but i I think it is actually saying something much muddier and something that i like far less and is mm. actually that's the actually the story they're telling here yeah um, they ask this question over and over again for the length of this episode which is like can sherlock love can sherlock feel sexual attraction and then they just don't answer mm-hmm. this episode also has like a like Freudian interest in sex like starting off with him naked in a place he shouldn't be naked and then like irene is also naked that's the outfit she picks out is she decides to just be naked and then like Everything has to be about sex for the rest of the episode. Like, even when Irene gets the upper hand on Sherlock, which she does, I'm jumping way ahead now, she does it in a sexy way. Like, she does it like she's dominating him, like for a BDSM Mm -hmm. scene, and then Mm -hmm. replaces the text tone on his phone for when she texts him with a sound of her Mm -hmm. moaning. And, like, that all happens textually. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. Like, Moffat is a very horny man, and and not in ways that I think serve the story. I, mm-hmm. I think just I think Moffat's horniness is coming through. It's just so frustrating because I actually think of all the episodes in Sherlock, I think this is the one that feels the closest to like it's feels twenty degrees to the right of something that's very interesting to say. Yeah, there is something very interesting about Irene Adler and Sherlock Holmes being very similar people in terms of their level of intelligence, but Holmes being a like an asexual person. Like mm-hmm. if they had if they had gone the way and had made him asexual right. or on the asexual spectrum, and then his counterpart being this kind of hypersexual person, that is that is an interesting thing of like what common ground can we find? Like, is there still a bond here that maybe is not sexual? And yet despite all of that, we we find common ground. And pairing that with and and like we'll get to it, but there the one scene in this that I'm just like, there's a nugget of something so fascinating here. Which is I, when you have John and Irene talking yes. about it. Well, let me first say, Laura Palmer, excellent actress, mm-hmm. does an incredible job with what she's Great. given. Mm-hmm. Like, I... Yes. Because my ultimately, my problem with this episode is kind of the same thing that I had with the other episode. It's too long. But my main complaint is, is like, they have, for the first, like, half an hour... A perfect episode, like a perfect story, like, and they do like the full story, like, of Scandal and Bohemia in a way that is like modern and like mm-hmm. wonderful and like completely fits. And then they just keep going and ruin it. But in that first mm-hmm. half hour, Laura Pulver, give her all the awards. Like, she had my heart. Yeah, like, so I, fun. I adore her in this role. Yeah, it, it's right after she got gets the upper hand and gets away that you were like this should be the end of the episode she gets away with her phone it's it's the end of scandal in bohemia she bests sherlock and leaves yeah and yep but they can't let her win they they, just can't let her win they just can't let her win there's something that feels so deeply misogynist about taking the only story where anybody beats sherlock holmes 
And it, it feels like Moffat looked at the original story and went, oh, Arthur Conan Doyle made a mistake. Why would he let my my cool hero Sherlock Holmes be defeated by a, a stupid woman? Yeah. I have to fix this wrong. <laughs> like, like that's what it feels and like. And not only... Yeah, and not only does he have does he have to win and beat her at her yeah. own game, mm-hmm. but he also has to have her fall in love with him and want to fuck him, to, like despite the fact that he's a virgin, and and she has to do that despite the fact that she only wants women. He's just that cool, and I'm like, fuck you, just <laughs> fuck you, That's yeah. like fuck off. Yeah, completely. Uh, the a couple things yeah, that happened between uh, them getting dressed and her winning, just just to race through them real quick. Sherlock dressed, dresses as a priest for no particular reason because it doesn't matter because he abandons the priest immediately. Um, <laughs> sexy priest, I'm telling you. <laughs> that's, the, that's the subtext. Irene not wearing clothes makes it so that Sherlock is unable to deduce anything about her, which is an interesting idea. Yeah, that was cool. That was, that was I cool. love that. I love um, that. Her, It's and, a really cool move and I really love it. And her phone is locked and it says, I am above the combination and the word locked below the combination. Okay. We both made, <laughs> you both had big reactions to that because you know, it's coming. Oh, I, just, God, I have to establish oh, it because it matters later. Um, you have to, you have, no, you have to. I agree. I agree. Yeah. I just couldn't stop the face. And then she drugs him and beats him with a riding crop so that she can get away and to get the phone, which again is like, is this supposed to be sexy? Are we supposed to be sexually gratified somehow by watching Sherlock be dominated by this woman i think yes i think it's like yeah i, th- I think we're doing porn you know <laughs> right i will say i enjoy when martin freeman is an awkward person because yeah. i enjoy the moments where he comes in and he's like naked woman okay yeah like it ju- it's just so, <laughs> he's just so adorable in those moments and i'm like martin freeman you deserve the world and deserve better than the script you got yeah I love how confused John is this whole episode because that also feels right. He's like, it's this, because I also think there's something very interesting about like, oh, this person that I thought wasn't interested in anything, I realize maybe I'm getting signals that he is and it's not me. And wait, is that, does that make me upset? And like, that's, that's a really fascinating thing that they again don't explore in any way. I mean, again, like if you weren't trying to write this, what were you trying to write? Because Watson's arc this episode, as far as I can tell, is how do I feel about the fact that Sherlock Holmes might have a girlfriend? I think bad. <laughs> I'm I'm just imagining like Martin Freeman like in a mirror being like, is it like is it me? Do I have wrinkles? Like he's just like having like an existential crisis in like the bathroom mirror somewhere. He's like, I haven't been naked this episode. Is that the problem? Everyone else has been naked. <laughs> Everyone else. Do you think he went to see if Moffat and was like, so everybody's naked in this episode? Can I be naked or like, what are we doing? Just like Not throwing like... it out there. Well, how do we feel? Yeah. yeah. Do you want me to be naked? No? Like... He's like, no, no, no. I hear you. I hear you. Thanks, Martin. We're going to put you in a series of successively larger sweaters, <laughs> specifically a Christmas sweater that looks like it is five sweaters on top of each other. That is what you get this episode. I hope you enjoy Baby Boy. So that is actually what happens next is there's a Christmas party. It's Christmas for lack of any, because the thing is that the, like the driving forces of the plot have have kind of ended. This is where the episode should have ended. It should have ended here. Months have passed because later they later they say something about it being six months. Months have passed. Irene has been texting Sherlock, flirting with him. He's not responding. They have a Christmas party where they invite all of the series regulars over. It's wild to think that Lestrade is nowhere better to be on Christmas. I get Molly. I get Mrs. Hudson. She lives there. Why does Lestrade show up to this Christmas party? For Molly. 
But don't forget Watson's girlfriend. Oh, thank you for newest girlfriend. Ooh, Jeanette. We have to talk about how big of an asshole Sherlock is to Molly in this scene because it's so painful, and yeah. I don't know why it happens. I I don't. I can't. I I don't know why it happens. I think it's Sherlock is trying. Like, I, to, I uh... is trying to show off to his friends by making a deduction about the gifts Molly has brought. And the deduction is that she's giving a gift to someone she really cares about and has a crush on. And he realizes too late that it's him, which is insane because we're supposed to simultaneously believe that he's the cleverest man in the room and that he doesn't know that Molly has a crush on him. I think it's potentially meant to establish that his blind spot is in realizing when people care about him and what the nature of that care is. That's a good point. Um, that, that would be thematic to the episode. Yeah. Is that he, cause that's something that like he, you know, quote unquote learns later is how to, how to figure out if someone likes him, likes him, you know, I guess. But I think in a, in a more generous read, it is about his blind spot being that he doesn't recognize care. I think that the, you see that through line, through all of season two, up and up to the finale in Reichenbach, when he doesn't realize how John cares about him. Mm. And so that when he dies, he doesn't really realize the effect that that will have. I don't know. It is also, it's just pretty brutal. It's, she's always the punching bag. And it's always, I think it's just meant to, to be like, oh man, this guy doesn't understand how to talk to people. Yeah. And I, I just don't think, I don't think that any version of Sherlock Holmes I, I buy would be that callous with someone. Yeah, He does course correct rather quickly, which I, I do like. Yeah, he apologizes. Yeah, he apologizes, which I think is is progress. And then also she like takes off her jacket and looks amazing and Lestrade's jaw drops. And I go, yes, yes, you two should kiss. I think that just like to make her feel better that she should get a silver fox to date. Yeah. I just think that that's, that would be cool. I would love that. I still believe in you, Molly and Lestrade. My Sometimes loves. Pair the Spares is good, actually. Series five, let's go. Yes, when they have vibes, then yes, that's fine. Yeah. Because this this is the only time they ever interact, right? They are interact a second time because they are also seated together at John's wedding in season three. Cute. So, so. maybe something happens at the wedding. Maybe it's just always Molly that takes those hits. Yeah, always every time it's her, which just sucks. It just sucks yeah. that it's like that's the other main woman in the in the episode, and then John's John's girlfriend dumps him, which is great. <laughs> I didn't even make a bullet point because it's such a non-event to me. I forgot that happened, but it does happen. She she says, you're a good boyfriend and Sherlock Holmes is a very lucky man. I mean, yeah. I mean... Because, you, you know, they might be gay. Did, did you know? Did you know? We haven't mentioned it. We've only mentioned it once so far. And we really need to get that minimum of three an episode in. Right. We really have a quota to hit, guys. Um, and we're about to do it in a big way in, the, in a few scenes. And the reason that she breaks up with him is that he is springing into action because Mycroft warns him that it's a danger night for Sherlock's drug use mm -hmm. because they found Irene's dead body and she's not dead. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's too much time left in the episode to be like, Oh yeah, she's dead. No, she ain't. Yeah. No, she fucking ain't. Yeah. But the premise is that she's died because she lost the phone, which mm -hmm. Sherlock has. This is another example of, this is, I just think this is a plot hole. Sherlock pretty directly implies to Mycroft he has the phone or that he knows where the phone is now. 
and Mycroft asks him and then doesn't press him on it, which is crazy given mm-hmm. that his employers are very interested in the contents of the phone and that, like, even mm-hmm. if they can't get into it, having it would be better than having Sherlock have it, clearly. <laughs> he just lets yeah. him have it, though. Just like how they just let Sherlock keep the blue carbuncle at the end of that story. <laughs> it's just like, I, <laughs> I'll have that, actually. <laughs> Mycroft says, caring is not an advantage, mm-hmm. which will come back later. Oh, I do have a note. It says John bad at dating. Yeah. John bad at dating. Yes. Although I do think it's like, it is a little brutal of his, his girlfriend to dump him because he's trying to keep his best friend from actively doing drugs. But yeah. I, I do get the, like, it's probably a cumulative thing at that point. Yes, um, probably not a single happen. incident. A couple of things happened that evening that, yeah. that are also pretty damning for the relationship. <laughs> yeah, it's not, it's yeah. not a great look. Yeah. Yeah. But also on Christmas, girl, you can wait until like Boxing Day or the day after. Right. Yes. Yeah. I hope everything turned out right, all right for her. It's, yes. you know, it's a brutal episode for her too. Yeah. Sherlock yeah. composes a song, which we assume is about Irene. And then here we are. This is the scene at the transfer station. <laughs> I, this is one of the, this is like the scene that I, I don't know for the longest time I gave the scene credit for some, for being something that it wasn't. And so we can we can talk a little bit about what happens in it if you if you want to. But I think this is one of the most fascinating se- season scenes in the entire series. Yeah. And I still don't really know what they were trying to do with it. Yeah. I'll just do the setup, which is that Irene's assistant, who we've seen earlier in the episode, and who I'm fairly... John has also seen earlier in the episode. She looks like Emily Blunt. Mm-hmm. Was it her original assistant? Yeah, it's the same girl. Hers. I thought her original assistant was killed by the Americans. I think... No, she was just unconscious. I think she was knocked out. I think she was unconscious. Oh, we haven't even talked about the Americans. We'll get to them. Oh, yeah, they were Americans. <laughs> it doesn't matter. We we skipped over the entire action scene that happens at Irene's house. It's cool, but it doesn't matter. Yeah. The only thing that's interesting in that scene is that Sherlock deduces Irene's measurements, which suggests mm-hmm. an odd pool of knowledge for him to have, I think. Yeah. So, but Emily Blunt shows up outside. I don't know her name. <laughs> she shows up outside of Baker Street okay. texting and invites Watson to get into a car, which she then drives off to this transfer station. And Watson assumes it's Mycroft because this is exactly Mycroft's MO. Mm-hmm. And also I Watson has face blindness for women because he doesn't recognize Irene's assistant and thinks she's Anthea from the first episode. I don't know why. Because he's gay. Because he's gay. All women look the same to him. And then, uh, and then, ooh, Irene's alive. She's alive. alive. She's alive. Lauren, what? take it away. So John is, is understandably quite upset because he, he thinks that Holmes is upset. He gets very upset with her for pretending that she's dead on behalf of Sherlock. Because he is projecting that Sherlock is brokenhearted onto him. And is like, you have to tell him that you're alive. He's also been like, John has been like obsessing with what she's been texting Holmes. Like yeah. she, he's been obsessing with like, what do you text him? And so she reads him some of them, which are pretty overt, like come ons of like, I'm like, let's have dinner is this kind of constant refrain that keeps coming back. And it ends up with, I don't remember how we segue into it, but eventually like, I think John says, we're not a couple. And she says, yes, you are. And he doesn't really refute it. And then he says, I don't know about Holmes, but if anyone cares, I'm not gay. And she says, and I am. Look at us both. Right. Yes. Okay. And that is that is the meat of what is said. <laughs> yeah. 
and and then also he's like well text him and let him know that you're alive and she does mm -hmm. and then the text tone goes off because sherlock followed them and it's also there Yes. Um, tell me what the there's also a, a, a point earlier in the episode where in order for the cover for them to get into her house john has to punch him in the face yeah and she kind of does a deduction on him and says well look someone loves you because they punched you in the face but they missed everything important so she's in a way that keeps doing a kind of a deduction in return on him mm. and the deductions are all related to john and sherlock like pretty reliably seems to be like you have something that i cannot access within him which is interesting but this exchange is 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 kind of fascinating in a way because i think for the longest time i really thought it was interesting because i thought what is being said in the that you love him you're a couple and him pushing back i'm not gay and her saying i am and look at us both i kind of thought that like there was a long time where i kind of viewed that as Kind of almost like a an interesting before its time version of of kind of this realization that we're coming to now that that perhaps sexuality and romantic attraction can be something different, mm -hmm. and that perhaps it is it is a an acknowledgement of that of like you do not identify as someone who is attracted to men but you love him don't deny that and that like that can take a different shape and 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 maybe if it, if it is some sort of different interpretation of like. Just because it is outside of your conventional binary version of what you think you are, maybe you should pay attention to what it makes you feel and what you want rather than what you think is your identity. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what I thought it was for a really long time. And I really liked that because I thought it was something really fascinating about the characters because I do think there is something to the idea of like maybe you don't identify as gay but you can still have romantic feelings for someone right and like the, the, I identify and like she identifies as gay but still also has feelings and maybe has never had those feelings for someone who is the opposite gender and that she and John in a weird way are having similar experiences or, or that she is romantically not interested in, but maybe sexually interested in him and that there is a diverging of like we have never felt this way for someone of this identity but she is more willing to accept outside of the binary than John is at this moment. And and I for the longest time I thought this was a really fascinating scene and I and I and then after this contextually in the in the the scope of the larger show it's like oh clearly you were not interested in that at all. Yeah. And I think it the scene actually to me now reads as like look at us both. I'm a lesbian and I still want to fuck this guy. He's just that mm. cool. And yeah. I'm like that fucking sucks and I hate yeah. that. There was a part of me that I was when I was rewatching the episode for this where I was like, did they just not know that bisexuals exist? Are they just using the wrong words? Because does she ever express desire for another man? Or is she truly? No. She truly is just a lesbian. I think that she says like she engages in sex work with men, but she identifies as, as gay and does yeah. not seem to show outside of Sherlock any recreational right. desire the mm -hmm. mod guy with the email was is a man and she, yeah there's a couple times where she's she talks mentions a man where and she says i know what he likes so yeah business not pleasure i guess yeah mm -hmm. uh, yeah i think you're but right i would be interested to know your reads on it i would especially be interested to know your your read on it someone who who you know had never seen it before and has no no kind of like you know outside knowledge of this moment yeah, I mean, to be quite honest, at that point, I was just kind of done with the episode. I was like, this <laughs> is going also on. Fair. Like, was like, this is going on way too long. What are we doing? Like, we don't need this scene. This episode should have ended like 15 minutes ago. <laughs> I was just frustrated. Mm -hmm. But in 
in retrospect, and maybe because I haven't watched the rest of the series, I I am kind of feeling how you originally felt about Mm -hmm. the scene where this is like somebody talking about like, look at us. Like we are two people who have these like attractions to, you know, I'm a lesbian, you're straight, but look at us. We're attracted to this man. Like, Mm -hmm. and right. It's, isn't it funny how our sexualities don't matter when it comes to Sherlock? Yeah. Is a way to read the, mm-hmm. the the exchange. And, like, in a parallel universe, this would be a key moment in, like, John's journey of discovery. But since none of that happens... Yeah, I, I, I was kind of hoping that this would be, like, a key moment for John. Yeah. In that, in that aspect. And, like, kind of being like, okay, if, if there's going to be more episode... Let's explore that. Like, let, let's explore their relationship a little bit more. And instead, we didn't get that. We got more fuckery. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> honestly, I wish that was what Moffat was saying. But I kind of, I, I do agree with you. Like, ultimately, no. That's, he's, he's ultimately be like, I'm a lesbian, but I want to fuck this guy. And, and you, I don't know about you. Like, it's one where right. like, you're willing to admit. It's also a strange thing that, like, okay, so you're willing to admit that Irene Adler, who is stated as not being attracted to men, is able to be attracted to Sherlock Holmes. But John is not. Like, it's a really strange moment. Like, why would you have that moment and then be like, but John says he's not gay, even though there's all this evidence that he has feelings for Sherlock. You have to believe him when he says he's not gay. I'm like, well, Irene said she was gay and she definitely wants to fuck him. So, like, why is it different for John? But I I, I think this is a case of the show just being way stupider than people think it is. Like, I think it's really as stupid as, (laughs) as Stephen Moffat being like lesbian equal hot hot must be attracted to main character because main character hot like like i think that's what it is yeah yeah probably is oh god i can't believe i love this show so much (laughs) but it's still like a trope of the straight male fantasy of like oh i can i can turn this lesbian straight like yeah thing like Mm -hmm. right so there's still like there's definitely disgusting undertones to it sherlock leaves the scene shook i don't really know why I don't know. I don't know. He's like, maybe I got a shot with John. Maybe. And he, when he, but he has to snap back into focus because he arrives at Baker Street and Mrs. Hudson has been arraigned by the Americans who are still in the plot. And sure. (laughs) I don't, I don't understand. And maybe this is just sure. Maybe because it's a bad mystery. I don't understand why they're in the plot to begin with. The Americans are in the plot because the big twist, the plane reveal, that scheme is a multinational scheme involving the American government as well as the British government. That's why there's Americans in the plot. It's a bad scheme. It's 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 just all bad. It it's a really bad scheme and we'll get th- putting a pin in that. Uh, Sherlock cares about Mrs. Hudson and he because he's a man the only way he can express that is through violence. So he throws mm-hmm. her attacker out a window multiple times. I guess this is another data point on the, like, who do we care about, why do we care about them, and how thing that we're charting. It's a nice moment, because I like Una Stubbs, who plays Mrs. Hudson, and she she continues to do some excellent acting. We also find out she has she has the phone on her, yes. and she hid it very well from the Americans, and she's like, yeah, of course, like, of course I had it, yeah, we're, we're good, like... At this point, 
I took the note, spinning our gears, <laughs> just the, you know, just things are happening and somehow nothing is happening. Yeah. We're really filling time at this point in the episode. Yeah. Irene returns by showing up in Sherlock's bed because everything has to have a Freudian undertone. But she doesn't have makeup on, so you know it's serious. Right. You know it's real feelings. Mm-hmm. Yes. And her hair is like wet and messy and like... It's, it's, she's she's wearing a robe. Yeah. Big fantasy. She's vulnerable, you know. And I think this is where <laughs> the, the... This is where the twist on spools, right? Is it? I think so. I don't know. I was yeah, so she she goads him. She's goads him into showing off and essentially solving the case while showing off. Yes, John is wildly friend. jealous. Oh yeah, John is wildly jealous through this entire sequence, and there's no straight explanation for it. So he solves the case. Yeah, at one point they're um, like, "I fucking," and he interrupts them to tell them that his middle name is Hamish. If they're looking for baby names, <laughs> <laughs> okay, John. Right. That's a good line. I'm not gonna lie. So this- oh yeah, but also deeply passive aggressive. And I'm like, sir, get in there, get in there, TikTok. Yeah. So they can throuple. I definitely. Yeah. They all have a bad time doing that. I think. I don't think that would negotiate well. I yeah. don't think. <laughs> I don't think anyone would have a good time there, except maybe her, but definitely not John. But that'd be a great sitcom. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie. Oh. Be- Taken for granted by both of them, I think. So the plot that unspools, because, okay, so he shows off for her and she immediately texts Moriarty, who immediately texts Mycroft to let him know that he, in fact, all he texts him is like something like Jumbo Jet, Dear Me, indicating that he knows that something is happening with a plane, but not what. And Mycroft reveals, there's actually this really stupid moment, the... The same Buckingham Palace guard shows up to 221B again to give Sherlock plane tickets just because it's just a very dramatic family. They have to do everything the most extra way to take him to the plane, which is full of dead people, to explain the plot, which is that the British and I guess American governments found out that there was going to be a bomb planted on a plane. So, But instead of revealing that they knew about the, like it cracked the whatever code or uh, tapped into this source of intelligence they're going to let the plane explode anyway with with a lot of dead people so they've been sealing corpses for like a month which are all being kept at room temperature in a plane which seems like a bad idea terrible idea and it's it's going to be an unmanned aircraft and this is going to explode and then they'll get to keep having the source of intelligence also there's this really stupid moment where sherlock starts explaining it while he's in the car to seemingly nobody which I love because yeah. he just has such a pathological need to show off that he's like, clearly yeah. nobody cares or is listening to you. Like, he's just <laughs> talking to us in the audience at that yeah. point. He can sense that we're near the end. He's like, we gotta wrap this up. <laughs> right. So he, he left Irene and John behind at the house. He went to the plane. Also, this this plan... is stupid. This plan is stupid. Here's what I want to know. They knew that a bomb was going to be planted on the plane. How early was the bomb going to be planted... Has it already been planted? And if not, how are people planting the bomb not going to realize that it's full of corpses? It just doesn't hold up at all. Like, this doesn't hold up in any way. It's a really stupid plan. And then to to add to stupid, Irene shows up also, which suggests that she was, like, in a car behind Sherlock, like she got an Uber or something, so that she could dramatically show up on the plane and just to, like, make Sherlock feel bad. Just to be like, I won! 
I won, and um, I'm not even interested in talking to you anymore because I got everything I wanted from you because I played you like a fiddle. Yeah, and, and also then... I never liked you. <laughs> right, and then all three of them moved to another location for for the, end go of the to a second location. We can't talk oh, about God, this episode. People. It really stinks. <laughs> yeah, no, the dead people might they hear. Really... They might spoil. <sighs> I just like that because you can't imagine it's pleasant. It's not like it is strange how many times people just change location for no reason. And it's purely because it's like we need to fill more time, guys. There's just nothing else to do. Yeah. There's also a scene, a brief scene the night before where she pretty overtly tries to seduce him and tries to say, if it was the last night on Earth, would you have dinner with me? This doesn't feel like her A game in any way. She's just trying to trying to. It essentially is to seduce him with dubious intentions. It doesn't work. Right. And you got to assume that John's just like in the next room being like, what am I supposed to do with this information? <laughs> so Irene's like, I've won. I have the upper hand over the British government. I want all the money in the world and all the protection in the world. Here are my demands. Right. I'm not going to give you time mm-hmm. to think about it. I need these tonight. Thank you so much. And Sherlock is like, wait, no, wait one more second. You like me, and that's embarrassing for you. And caring is not an advantage, and you fucked up the moment you fell in love, and fuck you for liking me at all. And uh, reveals that the combination to the phone is S-H-E-R, so that it reads from top to bottom, I am sure locked. Fuck this episode. I hate this. I hate this. Because she was in love. Also, Irene, that's embarrassing, girl. I also would run away and never show my face again. <laughs> that is grade school stuff. That is legit yeah. so embarrassing. That I, you I did would that, also girl. go get murdered. Well, it's not I feel only- like you can kill me now. I'll go to jail. Lock me up. Take yeah. me away. It's done. It's not only embarrassing for her that she had that password. It's also embarrassing for him that it took him this long to figure it out. I like, get that as like, maybe- as like his character arc is is i was gonna say realizing that people can like him but i i don't i don't even know it's that's, that is that's right there it's so it's so stupid yeah it's just so he can win so he can humiliate a woman like right. literally it is that like yeah. she we have the classic ending of the of the canonical story mm-hmm. which is where she beats him like yeah. literally wins she's the she's the only person that has really ever outsmarted sherlock holmes yeah and Stephen Moffat, the creators of the show, said the only way that we can improve upon canon mm-hmm. is not only having him invalidate that win, but he then has to beat her in the same way, worse, and embarrass her because she dared to care about him. And endanger and, her um, life. Yeah, and she fuck and not only that, to race ahead to the end, not only all of that, he has to win, but then he is the one that goes and rescues her. Yeah, he has to at he, the end. He has to become a damsel, and she has to need him to save her. <laughs> so, like she, so she cannot have even a single bit of the agency that the original character had, right? Who was like a, genuinely a really interesting figure in the canon, a minor character in the canon, but also a very cool character who beat him at his own game using his own methods, and that's what's what's so interesting about her. And you took all of that away from her. Yeah, yeah. The last half of this episode has the virgin sex pot dynamic. Yeah, like yeah, she, she I just, just don't like it. She just becomes like her. Her entire job is before before the reveal where he's like, "Screw you." Her entire job is to be sexy, and his entire job is to be flustered. And then he gets to turn the tables, and it's this weird, like odd triumph. And then she's like, "What do you want mm-hmm. me to do? Beg? I will." Like, oh yeah. 
So, which really I hate is that. Like final nail in the Freudian coffin. Like the roles have reversed. He's achieved his proper role as the dominant man, and she's become the submissive woman. Like that's what it is. Yep. Like, like she she is she's bad for being a dominant woman when she sh- when she should be submissive, and the story makes sure she becomes submissive instead. Yeah, that's yep. what it's about. Um, it, it takes a woman that had like no tied to Sherlock Holmes and no and like really was acting in the original story of her own agency and for what she wanted in the world and that was her motivation and then ties her entirely to a man goes out of its way to make her canonically queer and mm-hmm. and like specifically an identified lesbian who is there even more not tied to men and is much more tied to her own pleasure and to and to like the power of her own sexuality completely divorced from her own desires and then turns that around on her and decides the best thing it can do is bring her down so that she is tied entirely to a man wants wants only him and then takes every bit of agency away from her in the end yeah and tries to frame it as like yay a love story and i i i it's just it's really kind of actually upsetting the, yeah um, and it's one of the oh, it just sucks it sucks yeah the premise of the short story arthur conan doyle story is that irene was right actually like the perspective that arthur mm-hmm. conan doyle has is that sherlock realizes that irene did nothing wrong and that he like not only is he kind of impressed with her for besting him he also was like, mm-hmm. I think that's right, actually. I think, like, justice has been served. There was never a crime committed. She wasn't going to do anything. She mm-hmm. wasn't going to do anything. I think it's fine she got away. And, like, the viewpoint here... Like, like I'm not even sure there's a clear viewpoint on whether or not what she did was right or wrong. Like, we're never, like, aff- affronted on the level that she has scandalous photos with a British royal, really. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the only reason that this happens that she has to have a comeuppance is because of who she is not what she did yeah and because she dared to think that she was better than sherlock holmes yeah yeah or that she was even not even better that she could have been his equal yeah. like the, the it she is being actively punished in the text for daring to be the intellectual and power equal of sherlock holmes yeah and she then has to be punished for it and brought down for it yeah which sucks so there's a quick coda to this episode, which we've alluded to already, which is that Mycroft shows up outside of 221B, where he intercepts Watson, and they go into Speedy's, the cafe below 221B, I guess 221A, and tells him that Irene is dead, but that he should tell Sherlock instead that she has gotten into some sort of witness protection program, which he does do. Uh, John has gone upstairs with the bag of government evidence, for no reason. And Sherlock decides <laughs> that he wants to keep the phone that was the heart of the case and literally symbolizes Irene's heart explicitly in the text as a trophy, I guess, which John lets him. And then we find out that he flew out to the Middle East to rescue her when she was being killed by some sort of death squad, which, mm-hmm. like, Mycroft would have known about. <laughs> you know yes and 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 yeah and we are left with because it does come up later i think in season four john does think that she is dead and lies to him to try to spare his feelings 
Because when he then finds out in season four that she actually is alive, he gets very upset for reasons, I guess. Yeah. And they, then they do the like bit of text from the... Yeah. She's she's the woman. She's the only woman. Which The woman. The woman. Which is like, I think a crazy thing to include because... Yeah. Like in the, the Conan Doyle canon, she's the woman because of like Victorian culture of sexism and whatever like mm-hmm. Doyle's feelings about women are, I think his silence speaks volumes. The, you know, she is the woman in the canon because there aren't any, right? Yeah. There are other women in Sherlock's life and it's pretty offensive that he, you know, that he considers Irene that way in the context of being surrounded by women all the time. Yeah, and they, it's, it really does just feel like it's like, she's the woman because he wants to bet, which I don't like. <laughs> well, and, and I don't think is it is I don't think it's a good adaptation choice. And the thing is, like, do you think that Moffat thinks that they fucked after he saved her life? Yes, I didn't think so. And then in season four, in the final episode, there is a character, Sherlock's secret sister, who is the super genius who is smarter than him and Mycroft and is basically an X-Men and has like supernatural powers, looks at him and he play. He, she's in like prison and he starts playing the violin because she asks him to play. And two seconds in, she says, oh, you've had sex. And pretty much the only person that that could be implied to have been with is is Irene. Is John uh, Watson. John Watson. John Watson. John it's, Watson. It's very clear. It's very clearly not John Watson because if it would, that's that that season would have gone a lot differently if it had been John Watson. Let I, me tell you something. Hate sex. Come on. Yeah. I mean, it would that that it would be in the context of season four, that would be just deeply dysfunctional in every possible way. That would be the most messy shit in the world. Their relationship is not in a good place. But yeah, so so it is implied pretty heavily that they did have some sort of sexual relationship. I, I want to give you <laughs> a minute to rant about season four if you want. If you want the the, the podium, uh, God, I feel like I've already talked a lot about my problems with the the overall show in general because I think I think a lot of it really comes down to just season four. When we talk about this as an adaptation, I think season four contains a lot of the. Um, betrayals of kind of like foundational things that i think exist within the characters um there's some like pretty deep dysfunction that happens in season four specifically with the john watson character i i think you you said you've watched everything except for the last episode right that's right there is there is a point where there is a rift between holmes and watson uh watson is blaming sherlock because he thinks that his wife is dead because of sherlock because she she threw herself in the front of a bullet Which to save him physics work that's not how physics works. And also that seems like that was very clearly her choice. But he blames him nonetheless. He removes himself from his life. And then he comes back in in a moment of kind of deep dysfunction where Sherlock is is pursuing a case where he thinks that someone is a murderer. There's a lot of evidence against it. He's also deeply like in a spiral, like a, a clearly a mental spiral and also is like is on drugs. And there's a point where he vaguely like makes an like a like a he's high clearly and tries to make an advance on this guy who he thinks is a murderer to try to stop him from doing something john steps in to stop him and then proceeds to knock him to the ground and beat him to the point of basically unconsciousness and it's pretty clearly viewed as retribution for his wife dying and then sherlock says i deserve it i killed his wife 
which is pretty fucked up. And clearly you don't deserve that, dude. And then the next scene is like they're at home. John has a whole breakdown because his wife is dead. Sherlock comforts him. And then it's revealed that it's Sherlock's birthday. (laughs) Then they're like, like, have cake. And that's like the end of the episode is like vaguely the show thinking like now they're okay. Like for for Mary dying, John got it like got like he also like basically abandoned Sherlock to the murderer. Sherlock almost dies like it's genuinely like John fucked up and did like a genuinely really like strange thing. And like, I don't think that he would do that. And then it's very much framed as like, it's okay because Sherlock does bad things and like he needed to realize that he went too far. And I'm like, I don't think that that's true. And then it's viewed as a win. Like there is a like it's genuinely like he almost killed you. And well, you were in a very dark place. And then it's like, on your birthday, you apologize to him, which I'm just like, what? And then there's one episode left and then they never address it. And it's just like a weird episode where they're where his evil sister traps them in a saw trap and makes them do like saw games where it's like, ah, you have to kill this man or I kill two other people. Which will you choose? And it's just like, it's not even a mystery. They're just in this fortress and then it just ends. And then Watson's dead wife gets on a DVD that she left before her death and is like, I know you guys for real. You're the Baker Street boys. And like you, you know, you'll live forever. And none, and, and she specifically says like, who you are doesn't matter. What matters is your legacy. And I'm like, I feel like the show is very explicitly about who you are. And it's just like a weird final fuck you of like, the personal stuff doesn't matter. What matters is that you'll solve mysteries forever. And then they run out and there's a, like, then they freeze frame and they're like, huzzah, we did it. Also, Watson has a daughter. We never mention her ever. Like, it's a truly bad season of television that betrays everything that I believe about their relationship and about John Watson and never follows through on any of the promises of anything. I hate it. I hate it so much. The moment in season four that I think broke my brain is when there's an overhead shot of a like a sports car driving dangerously. Mm -hmm. And I forget who it's implied is behind the wheel, but the reveal is that it's Mrs. Hudson. Yes. And, you know, that's camp. That's camp. Not every character in your show has to be James Bond. James Bond is contextualized by being around people who are not James Bond. There's also a scene, the second episode ends with this huge cliffhanger where there's like a revelation that there was Sherlock's secret sister that has escaped from prison and is masquerading as John's therapist. She was also masquerading as a random woman on a bus that John hadn't had a text affair with. Because he has face blindness for attractive women. (laughs) It's just like a text-based affair. And then she's also his therapist. And it's so weird. So that happens. There's a huge revelation. Sherlock, for some reason, he doesn't remember that he has a sister because he just like suppressed all the memories. Just like he suppressed that he had a childhood friend by, in his brain, overriding it with thinking that he had a dog, which he also in the previous season didn't think he had. So in season three, he remembers that he had a dog that he never thought he had. And then in season four, they're like, it wasn't a dog. It was a child. And that child was murdered by your sister by being thrown into a well. It's (laughs) insane. And then, so this is a huge revelation at the end of the second episode. And the opening of the third is Mycroft watching a movie in his little 
like on a projector in his basement. And then all of a sudden the portraits on the walls start to bleed from the eyes. There's a clown and a small child ghost. And you're like, this is weird. This house is haunted. And then he pulls out a sword from his, his umbrella. Like his umbrella has a sword in it. And he's like, I'm going to fight it. And he's running through his house and it's like a haunted house. He's like, what's happening? And then it's revealed that Sherlock just hired all of these people to fuck with him and to get him to admit that they had a secret sister that he lied about. And they're just like, ha ha, we got you by hiring a bunch of actors and doing a bunch of special effects. And it's the silliest thing. It's honestly, I'm like, this is art. Uh, it's performance art. I've never seen anything like it. You've got to watch it, Evan. You've got to. It's okay. it's truly one of the worst things I've ever seen in my life. There's also an explosion effect in it that is truly terrible. They blow up 221B. And Again? then it's fine. It's fine. Yeah, with a the drone. There's like a drone that comes in. It blows up 221. They jump out of the windows onto the street below and are fine. It's just like, it is so far removed from anything that even could possibly resemble the original Sherlock Holmes. You're just like, what are we doing? So yeah, that's season four. It's bad. And and it's it's bad. It's I bad. I think it's the and, only um, example I'm aware of of a show becoming so bad so quickly that everyone assumed it had to be for a bit. Bad like, on purpose. Like they yeah. were like, oh you're 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 being bad so that you can reveal that you actually made one good episode like you used to know how to do that you're going to reveal to us. And you made an entire season of bad television just to lead up to you making one good one. Yeah. And this is after the previous. And we were so filled with goodwill because the previous season, the first episode was literally included multiple fan groups that are in in the world of the show that are fans of Sherlock Holmes and are like fans of him and that are clearly modeled after it after Internet fans of the show Sherlock and multiple times they act out fantasies of the show of those fans that involve Sherlock and Moriarty kissing and Sherlock and Molly kissing and then we come back to reality and the characters in universe say like that's the stupidest thing i've ever heard it is wildly offensive it's just it's it's the show is i would love to know what they thought they were doing or what the purpose they what what the purpose was of the story they're trying to tell or why they why they were adapting these stories and what they liked about the stories because I'm confused sometimes. Yeah, yeah. So I, I'm just kind of confused about why do it as someone who also loves the original source material and also likes like is doing an adaptation of it. I'm just like, why did you even want to adapt it? What was the purpose? Yeah. Uh, I just come up with so many questions from it. That's why I'm constantly fascinated by the show. Yeah, I just feel like I mean Moffat had done a literary adaptation before with Jekyll, and I. Mm-hmm feel like he was just like oh another smart literary character and and then i just picture him reading the books and we're like ooh, gross oh disgusting oh not that not that we're not gonna do that we're not gonna do that not I that like, part women <laughs> nope oh no not nope. like Doyle would ever include women oh a woman wins can't have that can't have that <laughs> so, change that should i as a newbie tell oh, my feelings yes. how could i forget um, yes you please you watched two episodes of bbc sherlock and you've heard a lot of opinions about it are you changed as a person i think i'm made worse <laughs> no i i think the the thing about sherlock is that for so many years i have heard how good it is how smart it is 
how Benedict Cumberbatch and Martin Freeman are great in it, which they are. I will say the best mm-hmm. the best thing about the episodes that we've seen are the performances. I think they worked really well with what they were given. It is a shame that what they were given was what they were given. And I think what makes it worse is that there is, especially in the two episodes that we saw, there is some really good work in it. Like, there, there's really great adaptation work in these episodes, you know, taking these Arthur Conan Doyle stories and, like, modernizing them. Like, Moffat did a pretty good job at adapting them for a modern audience and, like, for a modern-day adaptation. And what ruins it is the additions, you know? I, I, I feel in my heart of hearts, if these, if this show was just 40 minutes to hour-long episodes, it would be a really great adaptation. Not perfect, but a really great adaptation. And if it was actually expanded into more than three episodes per season, I really think, like, this could be top tier in my book. There's so much good in the first half, and then the second half of every episode that we've seen has just been, eh, I'm I'm kind of like, what is the point of all of this? Where are we? What are we doing with this? Did you want to like do an adaptation of Sherlock Holmes or not? Like, yeah, mm-hmm. Moffat has this problem with forty minute episodes too. I think that's Doctor Who shows that, unfortunately. Mm. But but yeah, more more or less, I think you're right. I don't mind that they're an hour and a half. There are times where I think they use the time well, and there are times where I think they're just spinning their gears. I wish they'd taken the lesson from the first episode that it pays to make sure there are character arcs for both characters and to include moments that are about the characters. Because I think that like what you miss when you get into especially the third and fourth season is that like there's the things that they're filling time with aren't character beats anymore. It's just becomes bullshit. You know, they're just like, yeah, here's a, it becomes here's a, characters being cool. Yeah. Here's a sparkly idea that that will be entertaining for five minutes and now we're moving on to the next sparkly idea you know yeah this is this is definitely a show that has so much potential Mm -hmm. but ultimately just does not live up to that potential yeah and you know like i can agree with that as like a fan of this show like i was an ardent i mean i think this is your experience as well like, I was an ardent supporter, and, like, there were moments rewatching where I was like, oh, I still, like, this moment gives me chills still. Or, there, you know, like, I still kind of thrill hearing this theme song or, like, this this quip line I still love. Like, I, there's some there's some gems in this that make it hard to, to write off for me because I loved it when I was, I guess, a teenager, and it was new. And so, you know like anything that I have a more complicated relationship with as an adult, like the Harry Potter series, for example, I have to just be glad that I had the experience with, that I did when it was new and, you know, mm-hmm. accept that it means something different to me now. Are we going to get canceled I'll, saying that we hate it? No, I don't think so. I think everybody <laughs> No, has, No, I don't think so. Yeah, I think everybody's conflicted about it also because, I, I mean, I see people all the time be like, as, as soon as Sherlock deduced that a person who's drunk will have scratch marks around the charging port of their phone, I should have known it was a bad show. <laughs> I just, I do think it's funny how the first episode, especially, is just like, it's what if everything was cell phones? <laughs> yeah, and I and I like that part of it. I like yeah. that stuff about it. I don't like mm-hmm. when it goes into the Doctor Who like this is the most specialist man ever because yeah. that's not 
what I love about Sherlock Holmes, the character. And I think that's not what most people love about. It's not that he's this impenetrable fortress of the cool. Yeah. It's that he's a weird little guy. Like yeah. that is what I fell in love with in the original stories is this, this weird little guy and his friend and like, and this that's- person that is his partner, whatever the relationship is, is the, this, and this person that he loves. Yeah. That is what I'm there. I'm there for, for these two people and the fact that they found each other and they created this this relationship and they built this thing together. Which is and also how I, I feel think about that... Doctor Who. Should we rate her? Let's do it. Let's yes. rate her. <laughs> so we rate adaptations on a five-point scale. The criteria are loyalty to source material, grade of mystery, Britishness, total enjoyment, and queer subtext. The LGBTQ scale. Starting at the top. Okay. Loyalty to source material. This is each each one is out of five points. We're going to <laughs> all agree on a number magically. And we can go over or we can go under. That's true. We can award negative points. They I feel like both of these episodes take the set dressing of the mystery from the book and, and like aggressively sign point it and then just do their own thing. Both of both of them are like, see, like the book, and then they just completely do something different. So clearly, clearly, there is a level of knowledge of the source material, but I don't know if I'd call it a loyalty to the source material. Yeah, I would, I would give it somewhere in between, because I actually think the study in Scarlet, the non mystery parts of it, of them meeting and all of that, aside from some like cosmetic changes, like the pieces are there, yeah, like all the pieces are there. And even the first part, as you, as you pointed out, Ian, of Scandal and Belgravia, like of, of Scandal and Bohemia, like the first half is there. Like the 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 meat of Scandal and Bohemia is in the story. They just then proceed to shit all over it, like message wise. Yeah. So it's like, how do you even grade that? I think I do like a two or two point five out of five, like right in the middle somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can I can agree with a 2.5, honestly. Yeah, what's hard is that I think it's often it's saying, here's the canon, and doesn't it kind of suck? <laughs> yeah. And so maybe that'll knock like a point or like a, like a half a point or a point off of it then, maybe like a 2 or a 1.5, maybe? I don't know. Because I think you're totally right. I think it does have a disdain for some parts of the source material, and I can't give it points for loyalty. Right. Yeah. So maybe a two. Yeah, I, I'm I'm good with the two. Okay. Two? Great. Grade of mystery. Not good. These are not good <laughs> mysteries. They're, they're functionally not mysteries. Like, they're actually not. Like, we haven't really talked about it because there's so much more egregious stuff, but, like, they don't give you the pieces to solve it. Yeah. They kind of don't make sense when you explain it. And, like, functionally, they're not interested in being mysteries. No. So well, I, I think I'd give it like a one. Like, I'd actually think I'd give it this a one. Yeah. Because they I, don't care about being a mystery. I think there's some also some sample bias here because the a study in pink is the closest the show ever gets to having a mystery where the audience is given the clues and they matter. Actually. Yes. It's It just all goes so much downhill from there. I think that should give it a point. But when you, by the time mm-hmm. you get to scandal, it's like, what's the case? <laughs> you know, like, like the yeah. elements of like the archetypal elements of this, of the detective story are so like set in stone and we don't get them. Like, like meeting with a client, we mm-hmm. get 
clues throughout that adjust our understanding of the case we we sort of get but then there's there's no resolution like boomerang does not deserve a point actually ironically we never got back to the boomerang well it's coming (laughs) back now evan it's coming the boomerang just hit you (laughs) when you least expect it when you least expect it (laughs) and that's the thing i was so distracted by the car backfiring you're dead now i'm dead now but the show was a car backfiring. That's why yeah. it's the whole show. While Sherlock is passing <laughs> out, he hallucinates Irene pestering him to solve the case of the boomerang. That's yes, all. That's... It doesn't make any sense. It's just flashing. He got killed by a boomerang. That's the answer. How was I? How were we? Like, literally, we're supposed to assume because the guy traveled in Australia. Yeah. We never we're see the boomerang. To they... Oh, boomerang. Well, yes. And the <laughs> thing is that, as far as I can tell, Sherlock decides that he traveled in Australia because he assumes it was a boomerang. I think we, I think that happens in the other order. That's yeah. So I think definitely we're not giving points for that. No. So like a one, I'd I give I it a like one. I want to give it a one for study in pink. If we had picked any other random two episodes, it might've been a zero. I think hound does a decent job at having a mystery. I think hound is the closest we get. Yeah, I think Hound is Hound is the only one in my memory that's like, oh, this is a case. Yeah, this is like, here are the clues. Let's go investigate. Oh, look, this is the answer. I think that's the closest one. And if Hound had been in the mix, I would have thrown in for a two two point five. Yeah, for that episode, but the entire average is dragged down by episodes that are completely uninterested in mystery. Yeah, which is most of them. I mean, the thing is, like you said, your favorite yes. episode is the Reichenbach fall. And like, mm-hmm. there nominally is a mystery, but it's not the driving force of the episode. It's it's a drama. It's an adventure. It's an yeah. adventure drama more yeah. than mm-hmm. anything. I will. Yeah, I also remember like in Reichenbach fall, which is my favorite episode. There's an entire mystery for the whole episode. And then at one point, I won't spoil anything. At one point, one of the characters literally goes, oh, that? that doesn't matter, and then throws it out the window. Like, yeah. literally is like, that mystery didn't matter. Here we are. And, like, throws you the middle finger. And, like, it rocks. It's really fun. But also, that means it's not a mystery. Yeah. It, it's so interesting to see an adaptation of Sherlock Holmes, a mystery novel that doesn't care mm-hmm. about the mysteries. That is so interesting. And, and then you go, okay, it doesn't care about the mysteries. Then maybe it cares about the relationship between Sherlock and John. And it's no. like, oh, no, I don't care about that either. <laughs> Wait, what? Right. But it's like, no, do. I really just care about, like, this dude being a cool, sexy guy. <laughs> Somehow in a straight way. I-, I can agree with a one. <laughs> a one is good. Yeah, yeah, I can agree with a one. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Britishness? How British is pretty British? I think British. I think it's pretty British. I feel I feel like it could be more British. I, I feel like it's fairly British. I feel like there are like British things that pop up where they don't ever explain it. Like it mm-hmm. feels like they're not making concessions to an American audience. I think it's in the top half of the scale for me. For some reason, in my mind, if you told me that an American wrote this, I would not be surprised. I, I think I'm more surprised that British people wrote this. I mean, in a way, making a mistake. I think that yeah. they, I think there's a huge amount of envy for like American action movies yeah. they baked into this mm. show, but I think that like the aesthetic and the vibe is fairly British. We've <laughs> switched from talking about the specific episodes in the last criteria to switching to talking mm-hmm. about the show holistically, mm-hmm. which I'm okay with. I feel like it's a four, maybe. 
four. I'd, yeah, I, I wouldn't give it a full five, but I'd give it a four. Yeah. But yeah, I can agree with that. I mean, you get a point for Benedict Cumberbatch alone. Like that name gets. That's so a point. true. That's so true. That's, On its own. He's so British. Yeah. He's so British. Well, and Mark Gatiss's whole character, it feels like a, a stereotype we just don't have over here. Like that kind of British oh. British mm-hmm. government official who's sort of like softer on the edges. It mm-hmm. feels very like, you know, not a stereotype. I think he's specifically mm-hmm. doing this like kind of effete, never worked data's life government guy. Mm-hmm. I think that's a real type. Yeah. Yeah. Total enjoyment. <laughs> We're going to fight. We're not going to fight. I think we both expressed having very ambivalent feelings. I, mm-hmm. If we just talk about these two episodes in isolation... I think mm-hmm. it's exact middle of the road for me. I think it's a three. I think it's like, mm-hmm. there are a lot of moments where I'm like, ah, yeah, there they go, those guys. And then there are other moments where I'm like, the show is just saying fuck you to me over and over again. <laughs> yeah, I would also put it right in the middle. There was a point in my life where like this would have been a five, like yeah. genuinely, where it was yeah, like, this was the maximum enjoyment that a piece of media could give me. And so there, I will never be able to divorce that part of myself from this show. But I also like, the show is saying fuck you to most of us. Yeah. But there's also something kind of interesting about that, that I'm like, that I want to dissect. And that does give me enjoyment. So I, I give it right in the middle of the road. I would, I would probably give it like, because of how disappointing I find it in yeah. now. And how every time I come back to it, I, I find myself more disappointed in it. I'd, I'd go more for like a two or 2.5 overall. I like the first one better, but then this, the, the, the study is scandal in Belgravia brings it down for me. Yeah, it's it's sort of it's really distressing actually. Like it, it does reach a point yeah. where it's like it's not just incompetent, it's actually like kind of evil in, in terms yeah. of what it's doing and what it's saying. I also I think it's funny that you're like, I want to dive into what the show is saying when really what I feel like it's saying is Moffat is like, Can I make art for straight white men? Yeah. <laughs> the, right. the boldness to finally make art for straight white men. You want to go low and, and Sherlock Holmes, right? Yes, please. I, I'm conflicted because there, there were, there were some things that I really liked about this adaptation. I think, like I'm like numerically counting this in my head. If we're counting like the first half of both episodes is like a half point, and then so that's one full point, and then the performances of Benedict and Martin create another point. I don't feel comfortable with getting it giving it anything below a 2.5, but I don't feel comfortable get, giving mm-hmm. it anything above a 3. Yeah, you both said 2.5, we can go 2.5. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That that feels right because yeah. like, I, like there are some really fun things that I really enjoyed. It's just too fucking long. <laughs> the time has come for you to lip sync for your life. Queer subtext. How do you even grade this? Like I, genuinely how? Right. What? The, the, the thing is that, like, the phrase is queer subtext. Like, if you don't take into account the hostility towards a queer audience and the, <laughs> fact, and the fact that the subtext peters off over the course of the show, if we just look at these two episodes in isolation, the queer subtext mm-hmm. is through the fucking roof. I would give it a, a six or more. <laughs> I five. think it would really depend on whether or not we are talking about specifically these two episodes and what they are promising. Mm. or the entire show because if it's the if you're right if it's the episodes themselves it's fuck it's in there it's a lot yeah and like it is very clearly happening i think to be fair to the rest of the grading and to ian i think we have to do just these two episodes great 
We don't have to be fair to me. <laughs> and I think that, like, through easily through the third season, it remains like above a five. And then for some reason, in four, they were like, what if they didn't like each other? Uh, um, but I mean, you're right. I think it, in three, it gets a lot sadder, but it's very clearly still there. Like, yeah. very clearly in, and I would argue, not even the subtext, in the text of the show. Yeah. So I, it's through the roof. Uh, yeah, which I, I guess you're right. If we're thinking of three of the four seasons are through the roof, and in the fourth they gear shift, but that doesn't change the fact that it's astronomical in those seasons, right? In the first three, and like you know, I, I think the death of the author is a flawed concept, but me knowing that Moffat and Gatiss have kiboshed any queer interpretation of the characters, which again is fucking wild, doesn't change the fact that that I I you know. I the text is there. The it's text there. Is there, right? Like, I think I'm a decent scholar of media. I'm going to do something that we've really never done before. I'm going to look back. If we look back yeah. at our other adaptations that we have looked at, the highest that we've given in mm. queer subtext is a seven for Granada. Can mm. can you tell me that Granada that did not have this queer subtext within the text? But just played mm-hmm. it like with the actors. With the actors, yeah, mm-hmm. is uh, is lower than this. No, I can't say that. I think BBC Sherlock is a ten out of five. I think it's 10. interesting because it, they're really? in, they're interacting with it in very different ways too. Is yeah. but I think what's interesting is that Granada Holmes is doing it so earnestly and so intensely, and also is never in the text denying it. Right, in great like there way. is no in text denials even within like even within the context of what could be a canonical like him marrying mary watson like there is none of that they have they've taken away the barriers they've taken away any way that you could object to it being the to the validity of it yeah whereas in sherlock i I think it's more intense yeah like there are like you can never take away the fact that at the end of season three he was going to say i love you just yeah. because he doesn't yeah. say it, because he chickens out, does not mean that there is no other explanation textually for what he was going to say. There was going to be a love confession. But also in the text, you have characters overtly saying that they're not together. So it's it's interesting because the subtext, I think, is way more intense. But also there is stuff in the text trying to counter it. So I think they balance out to kind of almost the same place for me. But I feel like the, as you point out, the denials only make it stronger. Like the degree yeah. of denial, you know. I think they're doing such different things because it, Granada is doing is like these two people don't need to say it, but they've mm-hmm. been happily married for forty years. Yeah, um, which is very much how how I read that. I'm like they have been married. They are domestic. They are settled partnership. Right, and I think Whereas, it's quite clear. It feels like BBC Sherlock is doing this much angstier thing where it's like these two people are roommates who cannot figure out how to tell each other how much they care about each other and mm. keep hurting each other in the process because they have so many yeah. feelings for each other. Like that's what it feels like is happening in BBC Sherlock, which is also a which is also queer subtext, I think. Um yeah. I, I would yeah I think you're right I think I would put it like what what did you give what did you give Granada again was it a six seven. or seven a seven I would put this around the same if not at like maybe an eight mm-hmm. perhaps you want to go lower I want to go lower because yes it is there yeah but mm-hmm. because the writers are 
fighting so hard to make it not there. I, uh, I like they're not. No, but I don't think that's what's happening. I don't think the writers are fighting hard to for there not to be queer subtext because they're obviously they'd, they'd be doing an awful job if they were, that's what they were trying to do. What they're doing is queer baiting, where they're like stringing along the possibility of queer subtext without ever having to confirm everything to maintain a queer audience without doing the work to to please a queer audience. And that's a fucked up thing to do. But I don't think it negates the amount of queer subtext that made it into the show. I, I, I'm just call, I'm calling dibs on death of the author and saying that the queer subtext, regardless of intention, is fundamental to the work. I guess, yeah, I guess that's probably my issue is I do not feel comfortable putting something that is obviously queer baiting above something that is kind of embracing the queerness right. of Sherlock Holmes. Right. I, I would rather... I support see, that. I would rather see something that, like, fully, like, embraces it, brings it in, it doesn't call attention to it, but, like, allows it to just be than something mm -hmm. that is, like, ooh, we're gay, we're gay. No, we're not. Like, I... I I, I mm -hmm. personally do not feel comfortable with putting this higher than Granada. Higher than Granada. So should we go seven and keep it with Granada? I guess. Or six. Or six, like a six point five to put it below Granada, so we can keep them at the top and and maintain something that is happy. Right. And but is Gr like Granada. more. But do we want to reward Granada more for intention? Oh, interesting. Yeah. I, I, I understand your argument because I, I think you're right. I think the death of the, the author is maybe not the most useful thing here because, because I think intention does matter. And I think that like, this is like, despite including queer subtext, this is still harmful to queer fans of the show. Right. Yeah. I, I would rather celebrate queer joy than queer pain, personally. Yeah. And I think where I, where I end up is that like, if you look at the actual like subtext in there, we're at about an eight. But I do think that creator intention cancels out some of those points. Yeah. So yeah. I would be comfortable bringing it down to a six or a six point five. I'm I'm yeah. comfortable with an even six. Yes. Okay. I'm comfortable with an even six. That's a deal. Alrighty. So in total, that puts BBC <laughs> Sherlock at a fifteen point five out of twenty five, like right between both Basil Rathbone movies with us. Mm -hmm. Lauren, thank you so much for joining us for this extraordinarily long conversation. <laughs> it's, it's, I had a great it's, time. It's been two weeks since the last time you said where people can find you. So where can people find you? What things should, should they find that you've worked on? Uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Lauren underscore Grace underscore T. I'm one of those old people that does not have a cool Twitter username or X, I guess. So I'm on, <laughs> I'm on there. And then I... I also have a show. I have a podcast that is a that we we talked about on a separate episode that is a queer Sherlock Holmes pastiche that is that is set in the world of Sherlock Holmes that has Sherlock Holmes in it that has John Watson in it. We're working on season two right now. It's called Fox and Stallion. You can find that on social media everywhere at 224B Baker, as that is their address. They live at 224B Baker. Baker Street, across the street from Sherlock Holmes and John Watson. That's kind of my main thing. I That's where a lot of my creative energy is is going right now. I also have a website, laurengracethompson.com, if people still look at those. But mainly, yeah, we're on we're on Tumblr with our 224B Baker account. It does a lot of Sherlock Holmes memeing, a lot of talk about different adaptations, and a lot of talk about Sherlock Holmes hitting the public domain. 
all this canon material. It's a really cool thing to be a part of. It's a really cool thing to engage with. It's something that I'm really excited about right now. And we talk about that a lot. So you can definitely find us on Tumblr for more Sherlock Holmes screaming into the abyss, specifically about Sherlock and John. So that's mostly where you can find me. Yeah. Next week, we are talking about another modern TV adaptation of the Sherlock Holmes stories. We're looking at House MD. And the week following that, we are looking at The Great Mouse Detective. It's Disney time, baby! So, be sure to join us for those episodes. We've been your Baker Street regulars. And we'll see you next time. Bye!